You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. Hi, I'm JR, and I've just realised I've got three elves here, and I haven't <laughs> I haven't specified an order for them to introduce themselves. So, elves, if you'd like to say hello alphabetically. Uh, hello, I'm Andrew. Hello, I'm Mark. Hello, I'm glad that my name starts with S because I don't know my alphabet. <laughs> I'm Stephen. <laughs> right, guys, before we do anything else, well... Uh, this is the podcast that's going out between Christmas and New Year, so, uh, well, I feel it would be remiss of me not to ask you how your Christmases all went. Well, the Doctor Who Christmas special was terrible and brilliant at the same time. Um, having watched it several times, as we all have, I'm sure, uh, in between Christmas and New Year's. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, did you have a good Christmas? Hang on a second. <laughs> <laughs> Can you ask Mark? Can you ask Mark? I'll get back to you. Well, of course, I had too much to eat and too much to drink, but um, yeah, it was great. But but nobody can tell the difference. This is true. This is true. Ad, what did you think of the Doctor Who Christmas special? It's the worst thing I've seen ever. Yeah. I had a I'd feeling... rather sit through Dimensions in Time on loop. Are really that bad? Yeah, yeah appalling. But it was Stephen Moffat. We all hate Stephen Moffat well, on yeah, this of podcast. Mm-hmm. Goes without saying. How do you think? It, how do you think it compared with the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe? Then, oh, it's better than that. I mean, that's not <laughs> difficult. Oh, so not quite as bad as the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe. Fair enough. Now, is Andrew yeah. back with us yet? I am. Uh, just to explain what happened again. I realised that schoolboy error. I hadn't put <laughs> headphones on, which I've now done. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so, uh, looking around the room for headphones. <laughs> So the first, the first two minutes of this podcast is just going to be white noise for the listeners. My, the sound quality of my, my bit is going to be very rough. Sorry for that. It makes no difference because the first two minutes of this podcast is pretty much <laughs> white noise anyway. <laughs> All right. Anyway, wasn't the Christmas special good? That last shot. Oh, my word. I know. Oh, Especially uh, the the, uh, the guest scene written by Eric Sayward, I think it was probably the best one of them all. Yeah. Oh, Stephen, you're a very funny man. Uh, uh, I'm going to play a game. Is everybody okay. is everybody prepared for this? No, not really. But Carry go on. on. Right, none of you know. <laughs> I said I was going to do something like this, but I didn't say what it was going to be. Anybody who's listening to this podcast already is tearing their hair out, aren't they? So let's just carry on on that principle. We're going to do on the spot. I am resurrecting oh, on the spot for the no, night. No, no. Yes, we're going to do it alphabetically. No. I'm going to ask Andrew to name a story, and as soon as the story is named, just a random television Doctor Who story, Andrew, as soon as you've named one, Mark, you've got 60 seconds to talk about it. And when 60 seconds is up, you will hear this noise. Did you hear that? Yes. All right. There it is. Yes. All right. One sixty seconds. Is that Lee? Despicably, yes. Stephen, you old dog, you. You know what you're talking about, don't you? Well, I'm, I'm an avid listener now, Jay. Stephen well, listens was... to every Doctor Who podcast. I do not. I have pared it down to a select few <laughs> of which Blue Box, amazingly, given the quality of the first five minutes of this thing, is, uh, is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Harsh but fair. <clears throat> All I can say is your job can't be terribly taxing. Not as much. If I'm at a, if I'm at a computer all day, I have two ears that aren't doing anything, so I put them to work. Which Fair. often uh, a, a blue box podcast often is work, so it's uh, it, it it fits. Oh, <laughs> I can, of course. Come on. I'm looking at this thing. Normally, there's a clock on my Skype. There's no clock here. I've got one now. I've managed to find a clock. Okay, here we go then. Andrew, name a story, and Mark, you've got sixty seconds. Andrew, go now. Day of the Daleks. Ooh, yeah, good choice. Well, this is actually one of the few John Pertwee stories that I really like because 
Uh, you probably aren't aware of this, Andrew, but I'm not the biggest fan of the Third Doctor. You uh, are find wrong. him a bit of a pompous pillock, really. Uh, <laughs> but in terms of um, story, I think this is one of the most interesting uses of time travel in the classic series. Um, it's got some great ideas in there. Um, I particularly, I know it's going slightly off topic, but I really like the uh, the redux they did for the DVD. I thought they did a great job there. I don't think um, that's entirely off topic. Well, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I think they uh, certainly improved on the Dalek voices because they were a little bit ropey um, and just sort of beefed it up a bit. There was one um, serious shortcoming. We'll discuss that in a minute. <laughs> um, I really love the idea of these rebels going back in time to try and prevent the Daleks from overtaking the Earth and it turns out that they've been the cause of their own demise and it's kind of very sort of Terminator-ish, so I really enjoyed that aspect of it. I thought it was a, a really exciting Pertwee story, which is something I never thought I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Oh, I'm shocked. I take it nobody heard my... I take it nobody heard... Faintly. Yeah. Yeah. Very faintly, yeah. Yeah, oh, Mark's not in the middle of something now. Yeah. yeah, I don't care. I always cut him off on a regular podcast. <laughs> yeah. Okay, instead of that, we're going to have this instead. Well, don't just stand there, man. Get it out. <laughs> Get it out. Because that's a bit louder, right? It, it is, is a bit, yes. Yeah. Andrew, was there something about Day of the Daleks you wanted to bring up before we move yeah, on? Yeah, the, um, uh, the, 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 uh, the special edition, which actually saw, I, I was uh, Toby Hedon invited me along to... Um, uh, I think at Riverside Studios in Hammersmith, just before mm. the DVD came out, kind of a DVD launch thing. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. Where they, they, they broadcast it. Um, yeah, there is one very... It's a great job that uh, Steve Broster did with uh, the special edition of Day of the Daleks, but there's one very serious shortcoming, and that is they cut out the Ogron saying, no complications. Oh! oh. Which I love. It's, and, it's kind of uh, like when... The, in the uh, in yeah. the five doctors, when the Paul Vanessis cuts out the Cyberman going ah before he goes and reports the Cyber Leader. I mean, yes, it makes uh, better sense, but it's just like no, you can't take out that. It's just you expect it. It's <laughs> it's ingrained, you know. And I, you know, I watched that thing going originally, and um, I've got an idea. I even remembered it before I saw the VHS, and it's okay. It's not a very ogrony thing to say, but it, it just. It, it it's a memorable your moment. Isn't it, it pushes your buttons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's part yeah. of that. It is a great, you're right. It's a great story. But okay. I, rate, I mean, I, I rate Hart Pertwee very highly because he was you on. Agree to differ. Because <laughs> Pertwee was. was on when you were in your early twenties, Andrew, wasn't he? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Oh, never getting Andrew back on the show again. <laughs> okay. Mark, Mark, name a story. Stephen, you've got 60 seconds. Mark, go. Full circle. (laughs) (laughs) Full circle. Probably one of the most overrated bits of uh, of season 18 I think we've ever had. Um, The writing makes next to no sense. Um, you know, part, uh, thankfully, some of it is saved by Christopher H. Bidmead, who was a brilliant script editor and uh, obviously obviously worked with a, a lot of crap in all throughout season 18. I mean, the fact that the show was, was you know, in its 18th year and it was so desperate for new talent that they hired some teenager to write an episode for him is just beyond me. But somehow they managed to pull... I mean, it's mostly all down to Peter Grimwade and, and Matthew Waterhouse, I think. I'm glad you mentioned this them. episode. Yes. Um, because uh, the story itself is a complete shambles, and I think it's all down to the production that makes that thing work. And I'm, I'm, it's something that I've never actually watched since I originally saw it back in 1980-whatever, <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad to just be rid of it. Well, don't just stand there, man. Get it out! <laughs> Get, Get it out! out. <laughs> I heard Full Circle was written by a 12-year-old. <laughs> was it really? Was it a blue pot, blue Peter contest winner, or what was it? <laughs> a lot of people think so. A lot of people think so. I had that come up a couple of times? You know, did you want a competition? Yeah, no, I really didn't. No, yeah. joking. Um, yeah, but uh, actually, I was going to do another on the spot for 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 Andrew from Stephen, but you've just brought up full circle. And I no, did no, want to, no, no, no. you know, when you were first on this podcast, Andrew, yes. we promised that you'd come back on. And yeah. talk to us about what had happened to you after Full Circle. 
And yeah, every time yeah. you come on, we seem to be doing either season 12 or a quiz or something. And we've never actually done it, have we? We've never did actually... I, did I agree to that? Well, <laughs> we just said... Let's we, see I, I did. Let's yeah. I don't know whether yeah. we actually sort of said, let's do it. But we just yeah, sort of yeah, said yeah, we yeah. ought to do it, really, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, after Full Circle, mm. we didn't hear from you again. <clears throat> and uh, yet... And no, yeah, well, yeah, go on. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, Full Circle is one of the highlights of season 18. Everybody who saw it agreed that, not just because you were 18 at the time, but especially considering that you were 18 at the time, you'd done a bloody good job, and yet you don't come back to Doctor Who, and you did a couple of other TV things, but not terribly much. What mm. happened? Why did these people not realise they had this talent and employ you to carry on doing more talented things? No, there were um, well, there were a couple of other things that just didn't didn't get into final production. I uh, Chris commissioned me for a story called the Torsen Triumvirate, of which I remember very little, uh, except it was set in the modern day, uh, and it was about three pieces of a device coming together. I seem to remember. Um, uh, uh, they got the story uh, scene breakdown stage. Uh, then Eric Seward. Uh, a couple of years later, and uh, commissioned me for uh, the first Centaurans, which would have been in Colin's first series. But then Robert Holmes came in to do the Centaurans story. Right. Um, uh, um, and the other thing, yeah, I did a uh, uh, I did a play for television uh, called Thieves with Michael Sheard, an actress called Elaine Collins, who um, uh, went on to marry a certain Peter Capaldi. Oh, uh, uh, when she was about twenty-three. Um, that's funny. Earlier this year, I said, like, "What are Elaine's doing that?" And then, <laughs> so, so I looked at it and said, "Oh, blimey, <laughs> she she married Peter Capaldi all those years ago." Um, and are they still married like, now? Oh, god, yes. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, in fact, I mentioned it to Peter uh, not so long ago at that convention. Um, uh, uh, the fiftieth one. I'm trying. Uh, no, it's a uh, Janet Fielding's. Oh, uh, Motormouth. Uh, uh, Motormouth. I'm trying to think what it was about three or four weeks ago. Um, depending on when this goes out. But um, <laughs> five or six, uh, I think you'll find out. Do five or six uh, weeks. Five or six weeks. Okay, thank you, Steve. <laughs> um, uh, it's it's difficult. I'm still, I'm still referring to this as 2014. We're obviously in 2015. Um, but um, no, I, I, I mentioned it to him. Then. No, she's a she's a producer now, producing her own shows. Oh. Um, she's really good. But, um, yeah, so I did that, did a, uh, as a play for radio I did, which I, I think is my favourite thing. Um, and a lot of comedy work. Um, what's on, uh, I mean, I'd, I'd had some stuff on Not the Nine O'Clock News and Three of a Kind, a couple of sketch shows. Yeah. Then I became, uh, uh, one of the staff writers on Kick Up the 80s. Did things like that. Did, did, did like, kids comic strips and things and, and whatnot. Um, and, except for four or four and a half years, always had a commission. Um, but there were a number of things again that sort of uh, were heading along, but then just didn't, you know, for various reasons. Um, and th this is part of the, the lot of being a writer, especially with television. Really, is uh, th things just change. I was I was lined up to be writing for the last series of The Professionals, and then was told, "Oh, we're cutting down the uh, the episode run." Um, oh, uh, so that fell through. And things like that. Um, but yeah, always working, always doing stuff. And then, but then I was I was drawn by the, the other thing I'd wanted to do since I was at school, which was join the police, and uh, so went into the Metropolitan Police in 1984. Um, Help by the fact that again, one thing I did find with writing, especially being so young, it's very solitary. Yeah. Uh, uh, very solitary, and again with that la that lack of life experience, if you like, as well. I was quite keen to go out and live life and. Metropolitan Police certainly gave me that. It's been, I mean, I've you know, retired in September after 30 years. And it's been, it was, oh, it was amazing. Um, Travelled the world with it. I, and I went into, well, people know, and I think I went into counterterrorism, and it just uh, was an absolutely fascinating career. Um, and I was in the right place at the right time a lot of the time as well. So that's what happened after Full Circle, really. Wow. Did you, you just said, Going back just a few seconds, you say uh, being a very young writer, you don't really have a lot of sort of life experience. Did mm. you find that an issue in your writing? Did you find sometimes you were 
did you find sometimes that being so young and not having done so much, you'd be struggling for ideas? Or or was it just a case of you had the ideas, but maybe not having the life experience made it slightly more difficult, perhaps, to sort of get them down on paper? Or was that really no. not an issue? No, it's it's funny. I never, never struggled to get things done on paper. I, I think the only thing, and I, um, you know, I was quite happy with what I was writing. And I'd, you know, the TV play was about a couple of shoplifters and a middle-aged man and a young uh, woman. They were sort of left locked in the security office and having a discussion. I was very happy with that. The the radio play was about a guy who loses his job and sort of rediscovers his self-esteem and eventually heads his way back into rebuilding himself through, through running a marathon mm. and the discipline that that involves. And I was very happy with that. And they were very well received. I, I just felt... It was just, just this thing in the back of my head that, that you know, you're, you're writing about life and you haven't really lived much of a life beyond, you know, at, at the age of 21, 22, as I was when I, well, 22. Yeah. Uh, uh, when I moved into the police. So in those early 20s, just thinking, um, well, you, you haven't had those life experiences. You haven't been through those kind of traumatic experiences, if you like, that a lot of people go through. When you got into the mm. police, were you still writing, mm. or was there a real cut-off point where you stopped doing one and started doing the other? Um, <laughs> I nearly, uh, I, I nearly landed in the cack on my writing early on. We did a Christmas concert at the police college. Yeah, uh, where I wrote a comedy sketch. Oh, um, <laughs> about and it's basically a character as a senior officer who came on as kind of a punk rocker. <laughs> We'd all put our whistle chains together for. For Andy, the guy who performed it, um, yeah. they came out and did a routine as a deputy assistant commissioner. And then um, we were in shield training the next day, so a public auditory. And when we'd finished, Andy was called in to see somebody. And we knew it was, a, we knew it was about the sketch. I remember thinking, why have they been asked to perform it somewhere else? Next time I saw him, he was in tears instead of being threatened with being thrown out. I got pulled out of class the next day oh. to go and see the commandant. We had a commandant. Um, who gave? Who really gave me the hairdryer treatment? He was a complete. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so several words have gone through my head, but none of them are suitable for a family-friendly podcast. <laughs> well, this podcast is um, really family-friendly, but never mind. <laughs> he said, "Are you the Smith who wrote a sketch about a DAC in this police force?" I said, well, "No, he wasn't. A no, are you the Smith who wrote a sketch about?" A no, uh, it wasn't. <laughs> are you the Smith? Mm, yes. <laughs> and um, he, it was the most bizarre thing. I remember I stood outside the office and people came up and said, "Don't." Uh, other members of staff, other police officer instructors yeah. came up and said, don't sign anything, don't sign anything. And um, I, was, I was absolutely gobsmacked. We were coming out of Christmas. Uh, you know, and he said, are you going home for Christmas? Yes, if I was you, I'd get a one-way ticket. I mean, the guy, <laughs> the guy was a complete... <laughs> Again, I can't find a word. <laughs> it was suitable to say on the podcast. But any word you can think of, he was that. And um, uh, it's, it was the worst. Actually, in 30 years, it was the one time I was subjected really to like management bullying, if you like. And what's well, the plus thing? side, if you wanted to get some oh. life experience, then you were certainly going the right direction. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think the most outrageous thing he said uh, was, um, he said, you strike me as a thug. What? what? <laughs> I've often thought that when I've heard you no, speak. It, it, no, no, yeah. it carried on. He said, you strike me as a thug. He said, you strike me as a sort of person who would beat up a prostitute in a back alley. I thought, what? <laughs> and he said, but just you remember, young man, there may be someone with a camera not a hundred yards away. To I thought, well, I'm going to copy sketch. What the hell? And I'd never spoken to this guy before. He'd never seen me. I thought, what on earth are you on? Something obviously and, um, hit home with this guy. Oh, it was all, well. He did you ever get taken... to the bottom of what it was, especially that he had about it? No, there was another sketch that was done um, that again went down there all over the audience, <laughs> <laughs> but was taken as being a little bit um, as having a pop at the organisation, if you like. And in fact, the, the video it had been videoed, but the video was locked in his safe. He told me that. <laughs> wow! And Weird. was destroyed. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, but four or five other people got the same treatment. And I remember sat there thinking, the industrial tribunal. And then he said, 
uh, you probably think I'll take my industrial tribunal. You can take me in any industrial tribunal. You're like, I will win. And that's, oh, God. And then I left and that was it. Never heard it again. But then I thought, I'm not writing anything for the job again. I'm not doing anything. You know, I wrote a comedy sketch. Yeah. And I got that treatment. I thought, I'm never doing that again. Mm. And I was approached, actually. I went to Elder Street, Lambeth. Uh, I, was, I was stationed at Brixton. Fantastic place to work. Um, uh, but I was approached by the staff officer of the commander, who was like the senior police officer who ran that part of London, uh, to uh, like proofread his uh, his speeches and uh, whatnot. And I just came back and said, nope. <laughs> and, and actually, which was quite a thing, I was a I was a young PC, I was a probationer, and I just flatly said, nope, not going to do it. I'm not going to use, any, I'm not going to do anything related to writing uh, for this. Uh, police house again because I'm just going to put myself on offer. Yeah. yeah, that's lighting the tone. That's lighting the tone, isn't it? But um, but <laughs> well, yeah. But you asked me that guy on writing. Well, no, 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 no. But I, um, <laughs> I've been plenty of funny things that happened as well. But um, uh, no, in terms of writing, I, 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 um, I always wrote. I always wrote. I was always writing stuff down. I think it's one of the things. In terms of, you know, should you be a writer, are you a writer, can you be a writer sort of thing. I think if you feel compelled to write, I did, and I was always writing stories. And um, it's coming down, there's some of them still lying around, some of, you know, but they were mm. like, floppy disks or something, you know. Um, did you keep up with watching Doctor Who? I, I did pretty much, except in those early years in the police, it wasn't so easy because of yeah. the hours and everything else. So I missed, um, I, I didn't see Colin's first full season. Um I was living in a police section house at the time and uh, really doing my first or second year, I think. In, so in the there police. were some benefits to having those hours then. <laughs> no, you behave. No, you behave. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, th- much later on then, you got back into writing long before mm-hmm. you'd actually finished in the police force. Because like you say, you only finished in the police force last September. But yeah. You've been back at F- Big Finish, writing for Big mm-hmm. Finish for a while. How did that come about? Oh, that was uh, the DVD came out at the beginning of 2009, and then a little, a few months after that, I was a guest at my first Doctor Who convention in about 30 years in Glasgow. Um, and David Rickson was there, and Nick Briggs, and um, was approaching us. You know, uh, actually, they mentioned First and Tyrants to me. David mentioned First and Tyrants, a lost story. And would I be interested in adapting that? And uh, which my first reaction was, actually, I don't think the BBC would let you do it because it's seen as yeah. as I said, you know, now I, I could go back and give myself a slap for that. But um, uh, then a cu- couple of months later, David got in touch and said, would I like to do a companion chronicle? Which I did. I was really nervous about it as well. I was really nervous sending off. I mean, I get nervous every time I send a script off, but mm. um, I was really nervous about this one thing. You know, just, you know, because it, it, you know, I, I need. If I was if I was going to do it, I really I really really wanted them to like it, um, uh, and David did, and and Jack did, and uh, Jack Rayner, script editor, um, which was nice. And then that led to, yes, ad- adapting First and Tyrants, which went down really well. Um, and now I think I've got ten stories out there. There's another couple to be released, and, and maybe three or four others in the pipeline. Nice way to mm. retire from one job and move smoothly back into another. Well, it is. It's not to say that you know I take anything for granted or whatever, but it's lovely to do it. And I, you know, I spent today uh, working on a script, and it's I, I, I just I, I, I just I love writing a script because I, I I love to read it after just to see the characters come to life and the story yeah. and the narrative and everything else and uh, see what the characters are going to do. Um, do you find your yeah. you have a greater freedom to come up with bigger ideas because you're working in audio rather than video? The restrictions and everything you do, hmm. um, and fun, you know, I'm, I'm actually I'm wanting some stuff at the moment where I've I've found the restrictions on what we can do are probably a little bit greater than some of the other things I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the things are you know things like cast numbers and that sort of thing and. Um, and you, you 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 have to understand how how the studio works really, mm-hmm. the big finished studio works, and uh, uh, you know kind of structure. There are ways in which you can make life a little bit easier for big finish, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but of course, you don't have to worry about things like numbers or sets um, no. and the special effects budget uh, or whatever. Um, when you were doing the first Sontarans, though, mm. as that was supposed to replicate what it would have been on TV, did you mm. have a restriction on things like the number of sets for that? Uh, what, in terms of TV? The TV well, no, when you were doing the audio, because I, I, when they do the audios of the lost stories, mm. I always wonder, is one of the restrictions that the writer's got is that he's got to write the script as if he was writing it for TV. In other words, you can only have four sets. No, no. Actually, well, actually, the restriction for a TV thing was probably for a Doctor Who back then was seven or eight mm. sets. But then again, it would depend what they were, and you'd know. And this again is being professional; it's understanding how a, how a program is made, yeah. whether it's in TV or in radio, and and having uh, a feel for what is, uh, you know, what's achievable and what isn't. Um, and but with uh, you know with sets, it was usually for a story, it would be about about seven. As I you know, I'm just trying to think about it, but about seven or eight sets would be about the thing. Um, and also realize, uh, and also not just the numbers, but realizing that um, yeah. Well, for instance, full circle, um, the scene where uh, Logan is told that he's a decider initially. That was going to take place in Logan's quarters, but then that would have been a one-off uh, as drafted. That that was where that was going to happen. Logan's quarters and the Starliner, but then you wouldn't see it again, which is pointless. You don't yeah. make a set for one scene, so you move it into the, the great book room and do it there. But an audio, you could do that. You can have, you you can have two or three. You you can have a couple of characters meet up and have a discussion in a very sumptuous. Uh, drawing room in a mansion house or whatever, have a 30 second conversation and then move on. Um, in which if you're doing it in a studio set, you know, that would be totally um, not, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. not financially viable. So did you alter like any scenes in the, in the first Sontarans and from the original TV script or perhaps that, you know what, I don't have to keep it to these same seven or eight sets. I can put this scene outside somewhere. I'll tell you what was, what was nice with Frost and Tyrants, actually, was that I got to edit myself. So I went over the storyline and the scene breakdown. Because uh, we got to scene breakdown stage, which is basically several pages, scene by scene. Yeah. Uh, with some dialogue, but basically describing what happens in exchange for, uh, for each episode. And um, uh, I could decide for myself, actually, I don't like that. I'm going to change that. I think if someone else had adapted it, they would probably felt constrained to keep more... more closely to what was in that scene breakdown but actually things change anyway and it would have changed at the time as well if we'd gone on to the next stage, the script stage um, so it still remains realistically what, what we could or might have done at the time but one thing was that um, the Mary Celeste featured very strongly in, um, that, in that story at the time uh, there was no one there to tell me and no one knew and I'd never heard the name Ian Levine no one there hmm. saying, well, the Marie Celeste had featured in the chase um, back in the 60s. Uh, <laughs> so we've already addressed that. Um, so what I did is I, I transposed that to, from the Marie Celeste effectively to an orbiter, uh, a spaceship that was in orbit around the Earth. You should have but kept you, it. Most people would like to forget the chase. No, uh, well, uh, the, Marie, the Marie I remember being a little uncomfortable because so I researched it and I got to know the crew of the Marie Celeste and the whole story really well. And I, I remember feeling a little bit uncomfortable about using those characters. Uh, yeah. And that's sort a of story. Yeah, you know. But I'd been asked to include it, so I did. Um, but, uh, no, it's quite... It was, uh, uh, there was certainly, you know, I, it, I was never thinking, well, well, we'll keep it to that number of sets. That's just not something, you know, in terms of keeping true to the spirit of something from that period, that wouldn't include saying, well, we can only have eight sets in the story, because um, that's just something that the audience is just not conscious of. Uh, actually, it's funny with that. I mean, Jamie Robertson, the sound designer, did such a great job with the sound and music on that, particularly the soundscapes, that it feels very epic in scale. The, the space battles in episode four are just so amazingly well done um, that they conjure up images of effects that just couldn't have been done at the time. But, but actually, the story as I wrote it could have been done. We would have had corridors and everything, and I, I can imagine it. I can actually see it when I when I listen to it. 
Um, but it just sounds amazing because Jamie's done his stuff. It's a it's a most fantastic piece of work Jamie's done on it. I just so so it flatters what you write. And but I think a big finish as well. You write something, and then it's produced by a big finish with the directors, productions, you know, the, the the cast that they get and. Um, you know, I've got Gemma Redgrave and the thing that's coming out in January, and um, uh, and then the sound designers as well just do the most amazing job, and it every time they flatter what you write. Great to work for, and a great family, kind of a social thing as well. You know, everyone feels uh, very much. Um, it's it's just it's just not like working for a a company. If you like, it's uh, there's very much a social thing that goes with it as well. It's a very very friendly bunch. Hmm. Well, we've heard plenty from Andrew, anyway, so yes. I think I think we should move on to the next on the spot, don't you? Mm -hmm. So Stephen, you're going to name a story, and Andrew, you're going to talk for sixty seconds <laughs> about it. Well, first I just want to thank you for the wonderful pre-interview for uh, Andrew's upcoming appearance on Ready for Scarlet. <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> Fantastic. Go on then, Stephen. Name and a story. Secondly, uh, oh, Andrew, if you'd like mm. to talk for 60 seconds about the Space Pirates. <laughs> oh, my God. No. Andrew's old enough to remember it. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I, um, I, I didn't see the Space Pirates going out initially. If I have, I've wiped it my memory. So it's entirely possible that I did see it uh, on, on first broadcast. I was listening to it again a few months ago, something Stephen is aware of. Um, oh. <laughs> and uh, oh my word, didn't enjoy it really. Um, it's it's got what, it's just I tell you what I mean. It's obviously it's written by Robert Holmes, um, but I think it's written as uh, a Saturday morning black and white serial. There are, there's just so much. It's it's rockets and space and spacemen and rocket men and. Um, it's very much a Saturday morning serial, not really in, in keeping with the, the, the series as we understood it. Full of lines like, uh, what's it, anth uh, something like, uh, Ansonite or whatever this material is, mm. which, as you know, is the most uh, <laughs> uh, rare material in the universe. Well, again, as you know, is a phrase you just shouldn't use. <laughs> it's just, yes, well, if you know it, why are you telling them? Um, but uh, you've got an where the, the doctor and his companions don't turn up till about 15 minutes in. I'm going to carry on. Yeah, Hang you on. carry on, whatever. <laughs> I'm just letting you know you've had but your 60 is, seconds just, so you can um, stop when you like. There's a thing as well, and this might be, you know, this this might just be me, but you, we, we've got these space police who are told when you see someone, shoot them. No, don't don't bother speaking, just shoot them. Shoot on sight, everybody, shoot on sight. Because uh, they're bound to be pirates, uh, which are getting stuck in the craw. Um, but it just, it was six episodes uh, that for me, um, yeah, it didn't, didn't go down too well, really. <laughs> is it, uh, it's a space pirate, a little, space pirates is kind of Flash Gordon taking place in the 1960s, but not updated to reflect the fact that it's taken 19, taking place in the 1960s. Or but it's got the most atrocious accents. It's got, yeah. Uh, but that's, that seems to me a bit like the twin dilemma, which is like 1950s, 1960s B-movies being recorded in the 1980s with barely being updated to reflect the fact that it's being made in the 1980s. I think that's why mm. twin dilemma goes down so badly. It just feels so out of place. It does. Yeah, it does a bit. But there's a thing. I think <clears throat> the space pirates are symptomatic of some things that are going on in the series at the time. I think scripts are getting away from people. There, yeah. there are enormous script problems. Um, there's a bit of sameness coming in, and I think a, la a lack of a lack of direction really. Fortunately, Salvation was round the corner. Um, uh, but uh, it was like actually hmm. after the invasion, it was almost like they were just. And there are some great stories between the invasion and Spearhead from Space. I mean, the War Games is one of the all-time classics. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it, it was just <clears> like, <throat> let's finish this season so we can get on with what we really want to do next year, really. I, I, I think so. And, it, you know, um, it's, again, it's Robert Holmes. You, think, you, you, you want to love it. And there must be people out there who do love it. But um, I found it a... a Hard you know, work. Just, just my, just my opinion. It's just my opinion. But you react to things as honestly as you can, and um, 
Uh, yeah. yeah, it, gr- it grated. There's a video on YouTube of Patrick Trout on his last um, American convention appearance just before mm. he died. And one of the questions was, which was your favourite serial? And he said the Space Pirates. Oh, really? Yep. Is that on the DVD? Because oh. <clears throat> there's I'm a DVD sure. of that appearance, isn't there, I think? from oh, uh, Yeah, I think so, from um, the people who did the Myth Makers DVDs. Okay, yeah, I saw this on YouTube a while ago. So oh, yeah, I wonder if that's because he got a break during episode one. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, maybe. Because I would have thought his, fav- his favourite from, uh, from Michael Troughton's book, which I heartily recommend, by the way. Yes, it's a great read. I, I got the impression Enemy of the World was his favourite story. Mm-hmm. You know, and as an actor, you can understand that. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I think that I can't believe when any, you know, when it was revealed that the enemy of the world was found. Everybody was like, "Oh, okay, Web of Fear, great, enemy of the world." And of course, the following morning, when everybody's had chance to watch it, did they not realise this was the story with two Patrick Troutons in it? That was always my number one choice <laughs> for the story I most wanted recovered. I first, I first listened to Enemy of the World about three months before it was found. Yeah, uh, I was on holiday in Scotland, going out for a run every morning. Went out, went out for a run for about an hour, and each morning I I had that on the headphones, and I finished. And I tweeted saying I've just finished the end of the world. And I love it, and I got so many people coming back at me, basically <laughs> dissing it. I thought I don't understand that. I think this is this is a great story, and um, and and then it came out, and I, it just reaffirmed what I thought from the audio. So I never understood, although I hadn't I hadn't listened to it until. Three months before, yeah. Now, so as I found, I I didn't understand why people didn't like it. I found it, I, I don't know. It, it just captivated me while I was listening to it. No monsters, I suppose. Guys, uh, I need hmm. a volunteer. Go on. Okay. Has anybody got a watch on? Uh, I have a I have an iPhone with a watch. Is that good enough? That's good enough because right. uh, I've just put you three on the spot. It wouldn't be fair if somebody oh, didn't yeah. put me on the spot. That's right. Okay. So, Stephen, you name a story and then you time it and let me know when sixty seconds I, is up. Oh, I think I think it's um, is it not uh, Andrew's, Andrew's turn. spot yeah. to name the story here? Oh, okay. Sure. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Be as cruel as you like, Andrew. Don't be cruel. Don't forget, I've got a hangover. Okay. It's Christmas has just happened and I'm still hungover. <laughs> Okay. Uh, oh, I had I had something in mind, but I'll uh, no, I'll I'll change that. Uh, no, I'll, I'll go for um, Legopolis. <laughs> oh, you sod! <laughs> uh, do you know what the the day the very first episode of Legopolis was on? My family and I had gone to Exmouth for the day. Now you won't know this, but Exmouth is on one side of the River X. And we lived in a place called Dawlish, which is on the other side of the River X. And in order to get to Exmouth, you have to drive all the way up the River X and then down the other side of the River X. And this was the day the first episode of Legopolis was on. And I said to my parents, this is the last Tom Baker story. We have to leave at least an hour before it starts. We won't get home. And there was a bloody traffic jam. And I cried in the car. Wow. Even at the age of 23. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because I feared we wouldn't get back home in time that I could sit through the entire four episodes. <laughs> oh, is that yeah. the, I haven't said a thing about this story either. No, you haven't. Nope, we've already hit 60 seconds. The Ewoks have deemed it so. Wow. Yeah. Well, I didn't... Yeah... But that's I mean, the these thing were the same parents who refused to go back at like a four-minute drive to go and get your uh, Doctor Who Weetabix cards when you moved out. Yeah, I'll tell you what though, that is that is very telling, Jr. Because yeah. I hadn't realised before now that that's evidence indeed how much you must love season eighteen. Well done. <laughs> how much I cared about Tom Baker, I prefer to put it that way. <laughs> But that and that was only the first episode. It's not like it was episode four or anything. I just didn't want to miss a minute of Tom Baker's last story, regardless. And actually, that first episode of Logopolis, I like that first episode of Logopolis. I don't like where it goes in episodes two, three, and four, really. But that first episode, I think that's great. Well, we didn't have recorders or iPlayer back then. Well, I certainly didn't. Didn't no, we? No. So if you missed it, you missed it. I did, but just for that series. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so if I'd missed mm. the first five minutes, I, yeah. I would never have seen that five minutes. Until, of course, it came out on VHS and then DVD and everything else. But mm. anyway, Stephen, I've got yeah. to ask you about stuff. Yeah. Uh, so many things that you've already said about Radio Free Scaro, about how it started, Warren and you, the conversations and everything else. And we all, Radio Free Scaro is the number one Doctor Who podcast. And yet it comes from Canada. Do you ever, <laughs> do you ever sit there and think, I mean, I'm not going to ask you to, I'm not, I'm not trying to sort of big you up, but you must know that you're the number one Doctor Who podcast. Do you ever sit there and think, how the hell are we the number one Doctor Who podcast? We're in Canada. Um, what's wrong well, with Canada? Yeah. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Canada, but you know what I mean. You know what no, I mean. We, you know we're what not, I'm we're not exactly in the Canada Exactly. And I don't mean it as an insult, but what I mean is. I know is, what you mean. We're not exactly <laughs> ground central here for Doctor yeah. Who fandoms, what you're but saying. But you, you are touching into the Canadian psyche with that question. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you really are. <laughs> I, honestly, I'm. It's sometimes I turn to Erica, my wife, and, and she who um, edits and produces and releases uh, Verity Podcasts, which well, absolutely. You know, is the only, the only Doctor which is is renowned in its own right. In, even though it's only two years old, it's, it's you know it got nominated for a Hugo for crying out loud. And sometimes I, I sometimes turn to her and go, I go, you know what? Two of the most prominent, or at least one of the long, most long running, and, and the the only award nominated yeah. Doctor Who podcast, probably come the this, two most prominent, <laughs> come out of the Let's same apartment in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. <laughs> it's astonishing, isn't it? It is a bit. Um, I, I put it down. I, I'm honestly, I the only. The, if we have a following, then that's awesome. I put it down purely because we're regular, and if anything, Doctor Who fans love things that are regularly scheduled, and therefore they can count on it. Yeah, but it's um, a lot more than that, Stephen, because well, anything can be regular, and that doesn't mean to say that people will follow it. They might well, like it that it is. But... Yeah, well, that, that's the aspect that I just don't understand, and, and maybe as, as this becomes a, a now a focus group for Radio Free Scarl, <laughs> yeah. why why do three people from England listen to what Canadians think about Doctor Who? I think with but any podcast, of... in my opinion, it's all about the personalities, and you buy into those personalities. And um, I think one of JR's things that he wanted when he started up the Blue Box podcast was that he wanted to kind of replicate the kind of conversations we'd have down the pub talking about Doctor Who. And the best podcasts, in my opinion, are the ones that just sound like friends sat in a room talking about Doctor Who. Yeah, agree. And doing it eloquently. And, and it, I mean, Radio Free Scaro for me is... It, well, there is that thing as well, if you're in England, Britain, I should say. Blimey. <laughs> Blimey. <laughs> I can't believe I said that. Anyway, uh, as a Scot. <laughs> but... Um, I, the, every single time I think I listen to like a Radio Free Scarrow or a Tardis Tavern or a Verity, um, although Verity's got that international signature to it, some of this, when you've got things that are very much American and um, reality bombs and other, you just think you're, you're listening to people that live thousands of miles away who are immersed and absolutely know this thing that is so British. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm always blown away by that. That was the biggest thing I took away from when I went to the Gallifrey Convention a couple of years ago. That I, I, I just find it very hard to believe. This is I just think it's so British, and uh, especially with the classic with the classic series as well. Kind of the production standards, I would think, just wasn't sure how they'd come across in the states and uh, uh, in North America and Australia and, and elsewhere. And um, it is amazing when you, you just think, God, they're, they're, they're <laughs> Again, all these thousands of miles away, mm. who are as, are as keen on this thing as we are. But here, it's it's an institute. It's 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 like it's like Robin Hood and Sherlock Holmes and everything else. Here, it's just part of it's part of British, British life, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. It is. Yeah, yeah. And yet, growing up in Canada, this is the weird thing. It's part of British life. But when we were kids, it was watch it once and never see it again. Mm. Yes, yeah. and yet yeah. you go into the playground on a Monday morning, and everybody in that playground had seen it. Whereas yeah. in Canada and North America in general, the opposite thing's the case. You've got it on all the time, virtually all year round. Sometimes every day of the week, and yet you go into the playground on a Monday morning, and I expect 
in a lot of people's cases, they'd be the only person who'd seen it. Which I think makes it a much more personal obsession. It certainly did for me, you know, because I knew that I was about the only person watching this thing, but I was enjoying it so much that I, I poured my obsession with it out into, you know, playing Lego Doctor Who or, or you know, writing fiction when I'm in my teens and everything else. And, and, and I think it, it probably, my, my, and other people like me, our love of Doctor Who was probably fostered more that way because we sort of had to be obsessed with it ourselves to keep it alive as opposed to sort of going, you know, having it being everywhere and being popular and everything. I've got to make a confession mm. at this point. When we first started up the Blue Box podcast, I'd never listened to a Doctor Who podcast. I'd never listened to a podcast of any kind. I remember you telling that, yeah. And Mark said to me, right, here's your list of podcasts that you have to listen to so that you know what you're doing. And I thought, I don't want to know what I'm doing. I just want to press record and let it happen. But the first podcast on the list was Radio Free Scarrow. And I looked at it and I said, that's three blokes in Canada who will be... (laughs) Who will all be wearing check shirts and have beards? What the hell do I want to listen to that for? <laughs> and there's you sat there in your bowler hat and umbrella. <laughs> yeah, and nothing else. Absolutely. Your cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean. It was. It was. But it, of course, then when you do listen to it, you understand, don't you? And the great thing about Radio Free Scarrow is, you've got Warren's the kind of slightly sarcastic one. Chris is kind of the thoughtful one who goes into the minutiae, and then you've pedantor. got yeah the pedantor, and then you've got Stephen who's the bubbly and exuberant one, and actually it's that combination of the different personalities that means that no matter how many years you've been doing it, and no matter no matter how many episodes of it you've recorded, you can never tell what you three guys are going to think about the next person on the list mm. in the miniscope or the next episode mm. that comes up that you review. Well, that's and... the other thing I wanted to mention. Sorry, very briefly to cut Yeah, no, go on. It's fine. Go on. I think Stephen is being typically Canadian and is being incredibly modest about how they put together the show. But I think it's very easy to do a review show when the Doctor Who is being shown on TV. Um, it's a totally different beast to continue to bring out a weekly show when there's nothing really to talk about and I think they do an amazing job of putting out something that I always listen to every week and it's still as entertaining when it's not uh, doing a review I think they deserve a lot of credit for that Absolutely Steve, yeah, It's very much about the character and, and it is and I, I remember, actually, funny enough I remember the first one I listened to I was, going, I was going to Gallifrey and I was going to be doing the um, cheering the quiz between Radio Free Scar and the Doctor Who podcast. So I listened to it. And it's funny. The first 50 minutes are about the Hobbit. <laughs> the first Hobbit movie. <laughs> the first Hobbit movie come out. And um, I, I, t- I tweeted something to you, I think. Yeah, I'm fine. I've been listening to the podcast. I know all about the Hobbit. Don't worry. <laughs> um, but uh, we yeah, had Warren going on about the frame rate or something. But um, <clears throat> Oh, yeah. Uh, but... But it is good, and, and the thing is, every week you just know you're, you're going to be interested throughout the whole uh, hour, hour and a half, or however long it takes. And um, even the news list is fascinating because you've got three entirely different people coming at each item of news with their own different perspective on it. Yeah, and Stephen, you do a great job because you've, you've you've got Chris there. And uh, you still keep it family friendly, just about <laughs> every single week. Oh, I owe Chris an apology. As you'll hear on the Blue Box podcast Christmas special, he was one of the first people I talked to, and I just listened back to it the other day, and the question I put to him was excruciatingly bad. And uh, because he was one of the first ones I did, everybody else got a much easier question after that. So if Chris is listening, my apologies for that. That was awful. But it's great. I mean, you're the three who rule, and... and, um... And that's just a blowing smoke up anything, whatever. But but it is, it's a format, and it's the characters, um, and you're all very different characters. You're three of you are very different characters, um, and uh, and I found even going into the back catalogue, I've, I've been going through the old commentaries. Mm. Robots of Death one was such an eye opener. <laughs> <laughs> really, I'm going to have to go back and look for that I myself could... now. Stephen came out with the remark about Pamela Salem. Yeah. 
<laughs> we we <Wow>. basically just <laughs> dropped. <laughs> basically just lust after. I think we all discovered a lot about ourselves mm. and our attitudes. I, 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 I cannot there. honestly even repeat the one line. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm gonna have to but, download that one now, aren't well, I? My favourite commentary was the one for Image of the Fendal, where they all start to try and do West Country accents. <laughs> Well, that oh. one's easy, isn't it? It's fine. JR will tell you, it's fine <laughs> and easy. Oh, every now and again in Radio Free Scarrow, you'll get this in Somerset. Where's Somerset? Is that in Yorkshire? Is it? <laughs> yeah. It's near Middlesbrough, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you'll settle on it. So your knowledge of the UK is pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Stephen, mm. it's got to be, I don't know how far away, but you can't be too far away from 10 years doing it now, can you? Uh, well, it's about a year and a half away. August of 2016 16 would be our 10th anniversary. Um, wow. And yet, I think as I, as I look, because we're, we're hoping, one or all of us are hoping to visit the UK in, yeah. in, in the fall of 2015. And we sort of like, well, we're going to do it. So we thought October. Excellent. We looked, we looked at, uh, um, <clears throat> uh, what's it called? Dimensions, I think, is a convention up in Newcastle. We thought, well, maybe that might be a way to sort of see all of our Doctor Who friends in one go, as opposed to having to dot around the country and see everyone. You know, but then you visits. picked Newcastle. <laughs> well, because we have friends, we we know the guys from Tachyon TV, like Neil Perriman and John Williams, and they're good yeah. friends of ours, and they live up there, so it'd be an excuse to go see them as well. And then, as I was looking um, on the episode list, because uh, I I plan out so far in advance, you wouldn't believe it. Um, is that around the week after such a trip to England would be episode number 500. And I thought that that would be a pretty kind of fitting um, wow. celebration of 500 episodes to have a big giant Radio Free Scarrow Invades England um, podcast episode. So, yeah. so, so now, based on spreadsheets alone, I think we're pretty much committed to having to do it. Excellent. Right, I, mean, I think we should have a very quick <clears throat> go-round on the, on the spot again. And... Uh, Yes, definitely another very quick on the spot. I'm going to choose a story now for Andrew. Andrew, you've got 60 seconds on... Oh, I just looked up at the target books and the one my eyes alighted on was Black Orchid. Oh. <laughs> 60 seconds, but I'm not sure I can feel it. Uh, um, <laughs> what does that mean to me? It means uh, Adric eating, um, Genesis, hmm. uh, the Doctor being, uh, and he said, uh, <laughs> W.C. Fields there, W.G. Grace, yeah. um, Peter Davison playing cricket, very beige, Peter Davison not in his Doctor costume, which is quite nice, um, a murder mystery rather than an alien uh, threat. Um, well, a murder, but not much of a mystery. Nah, and uh, the policeman going into the tower said, oh, blimey, <laughs> come on, blimey. Straight me oh, pink. Straight me pink, that's it, yeah. And um, credit to the force. And um, uh, <laughs> that's about it, really. Okay, um, you, you got to 50 seconds. Well, yeah. That, that'll do. Okay, Andrew, you name hmm. a story for Mark. Uh, right. Uh, uh, the Web of Fear. Oh. Ooh. Uh... As alluded to earlier, um, the the hype around the Web of Fear and its kind of um, uh, status as a uh, sort of musty story was, I think, it shifted slightly after the two stories were recovered, sort of back to back. Um, I love it because it's Troughton, and I'll watch anything with Patrick Troughton in it. Um, but I don't think it quite lived up to perhaps the expectations, I don't suppose it ever really could. Um, but there are things to like about it. I love the the battle between the Yeti and uh, the unit soldiers. Um, you do lose a little bit of the um, aspect of where they're trying to sort of stretch it out as to who is the traitor, because obviously Colonel Lethbridge-Stewart well, isn't going there, to be... Man. Get it out! <laughs> Just to let you know. Isn't going to be the traitor, because you know he's a good guy. But you only you only know that now with retrospect. Of you course. do, you do, yeah. Okay, Mark, you name a story for Stephen to talk about. Ooh, I am going to say... 
the horror of Fang Rock. <laughs> Goodness me! That, that, um, that, there's that lad. That's the memory cheeks lad. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? Is it he all oh, great? Oh, oh my god! Oh, oh, you never know what it means. Anyway, or, so, or sometimes I just keep it right quiet just to keep people guessing. That's a specific yeah. choice. Uh, people like yeah. you, Andrew. Horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Horror of Fang Rock. Um, gosh, this whole thing seems like a like a cut size memory cheats. Uh, recording actually um don't I... ask mark where i got the idea from <laughs> <laughs> um it's uh i think the horror if there's if there's one classic who story that has risen through my personal ranks uh if i even kept a, a ranking system of classic who stories it's this one i think it sits pretty you know if i was to do a top 10 nowadays it'd be in there i think if i was to do that maybe 15 or 20 years ago i wouldn't even look at it twice i think i've come to appreciate this thing so much just based on how how seriously everybody is taking it um yeah and it's all so claustrophobic inside a lighthouse one you know one location basically but really what what brings it all together i think is think is the the perfect blending of flippant graham williams era doctor and you know intense brooding um, Philip Hinchcliffe, Tom Baker, Doctor. Because I think he just meshes them perfectly. You know, the the cliffhanger to episode three. I know my sixty minutes is up, but uh, <laughs> yeah. they, you know, when he's when he makes his bold, you know, ashen face confession to Leela mm-hmm. and the camera about that he's locked the rootin' in here with yeah. with us, with them, and then you know, same episode. It's like he's bursting in. So just a minute, we haven't been introduced. You know, that sort of thing that just it keeps you completely off your guard. You don't know what this guy's going to do and he just makes it magical to watch. You know, last week's Blue Box podcast was the Christmas special in which I think 15 people nominated <laughs> nominated their sort of comfort Doctor Who story. Yeah. And of those 15, half of them named Terence Dick stories. We had Horror oh, Fang Rock really? twice, War Games twice, and The Five Doctors three times. Oh, Terence wow. Dick's. Comfort mm. Doctor Who. I think. Oh, he's he's he wrote the novel. He wrote he, he wrote our biographies. Yeah. You know, and yeah. the Targa novelizations. He's he's responsible for so much of our childhood. Kudos to Uncle Terry. Yeah. Absolutely Correct. right, Stephen. Name yeah. a story and give me sixty seconds to talk about it. Oh, I got to Let me just queue up my uh, my timer again <clears> here. <throat> one second. Got it there. Uh, 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 let me just do this, and there we go. Okay. JR, talk for one minute about the Shakespeare Code. About the Shakespeare Code? You've got a new series on me. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? Shakespeare Code, series three, and it's when the sort of, the format really starts kicking in on Russell T. Davis's Doctor Who. I like the Shakespeare Code. There's one specific thing in it I don't like. But I like the Shakespeare Code. I like Gareth Roberts' writing. Always fun, always entertaining. And in there, there is always a point as well. You know, Gareth Roberts seems to write this frivolous stuff that looks kind of pointless. But actually, when you get down to the heart of it, it's not pointless. It's saying something. So the Shakespeare Code's good, but another series that kicks off with present, past, future, present, past, future... And I was just starting to get a bit tired of it at the time. And the one thing that's in there that I don't really like is when the doctor's lying on the bed with Martha and all he can talk about is Rose. And you just think to yourself, we're past that. We need to get on with it. That's the cliffhanger <laughs> music right there. There you are. But you know what I mean? It's yep. like, you can see why he did it and why Russell T. Davis did it. But it was... It was almost as if he did everything he wanted to do in the first two series, and all he could do after that was look back at the first two series, back at the format and back at the character of Rose, and it just felt like already you had backwards-looking Doctor Who, even though it was only the third year of the new series. But is the context of that that Doctor Companion religion having having been such a phenomenon, such a cultural phenomenon? Yeah. Whether that was a right note. Exactly. Episode, you know. Yeah, it was. Oh, it, it, <clears> if they'd have ignored it, you know, or maybe the first episode, the Doctor had said, "Okay, there was this person." But then, if they'd have moved on, the series could have moved on. But it just felt, and that scene in that story, 
is where it kind of coalesces. It just feels like Russell T. Davis is now trapped in this The Tenth Doctor and Rose type thing, doesn't it? I'm it sure does. you agree as well, Stephen. Yeah, because I, uh, yeah, and and hey, th thanks for talking about Shakespeare Code. It's rare that someone has actually been put on the spot talking about uh, <laughs> an episode of so-called New Who, even though that thing is now uh, almost eight years old this spring. Yeah. So, ten years, ten years old this spring. No, I mean that episode. Oh, the story. About, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it, does it? No. Speaking of which, what does anybody? Uh, Looking forward to Series 9 next year. <clears throat> Is, uh, any of the three of you got any particular hopes or things you'd like to see? Well, I mean, for Series 8. More of, yeah. Series 8 was... Um, so I, I, I mean, since it came back, I can't remember since that first year, actually, of, of looking forward to episodes more. Just uh, mm -hmm. each week, just really wanted to see the next episode. Series series eight felt a bit like a one-off though. The Danny Pink storyline going through it. I don't see how Stephen Moffat could do that again with Clara being traveling and coming back. And you know, they've, well, they won't. But you, yeah. you won't. But you don't do the same again. Exactly. You know, you know you, and and the the whole thing in series eight, it wasn't like what had come before. And um, uh, let's have more of that in series nine, please. Yeah. Let's hope Mr. Moffat can find another way to do something as multi-layered as that yeah it'll be interesting yeah. because he's you know series five was was one complete run but both six and seven were broken up at different parts of the year which you know changed the narrative a little bit so therefore it changed it up as sometimes sometimes things have to be done just like what you were mentioning with uh with with the rtd era by, by season yeah. three they're they're already repeating themselves and uh and so to have two similarly scheduled seasons in a row you know one complete run um it'll be uh it'll be interesting to see how that goes but i i, I have faith that he'll probably come up with something that'll be interesting mark if you don't say they've made the costume so let's have the ice warriors and the zygons back which is what i was expecting when i asked the question you're oh, sacked really? i think i'm going to be sacked then okay uh, <laughs> <laughs> um i just want more of capaldi i think he's been amazing all the way through the season in the stories that I wasn't quite so hot on. Uh, he's still knocked out of the park every time. I think my personal hope would be, because I'm not always the hugest fan of having this sort of thread that goes right the way through the series, the, sort of the major story arc. I'd rather just have um, self-contained stories and maybe have a few more two-parters. Uh, but, you know, anything with Capaldi is worth watching. I do wonder if the BBC have asked Stephen Moffat not to do two-parters, except maybe as a finale, because mm. they, uh, I can't imagine that as an executive producer on the programme, it's easier for Stephen Moffat to do just lots and lots of single 45s. Mm. And yeah, uh, I, I would expect that decision to be his. Uh, you know, mm. he's, he's, he's laying out the plan for the series. I, I'll say something specific and new, if you like. Go on. I would love to see what new Doctor Who could do with crinoids. There you Ooh. go. I would so love to see what we could do with modern effects with crinoids. There you go. <laughs> but the trouble mm. is, oh, the, the, the only problem with that is that I would say is that that storyline's been done and it's a bit like um, Chris Chibnall when he did The Hungry Earth yeah. with the Silurians. Mm -hmm. It's like that storyline has been done but to bring the Silurians back, you can only do that storyline, so it more or less becomes a remake. No, no you can, you, no, you can find a twist on it. Yeah, I yeah. suppose you could. And I think the idea of sea uh, pods that can impregnate uh, uh, and change human beings—that's—that's mm -hmm. that's a gift that keeps on giving. I think that—that—that so <laughs> that, um, that, uh, that would that would. Um, yeah, that'd be, I think that'd be quite phenomenal, actually, if uh, they were to take that. But uh, I, w I was half expecting the crinoids to um, be behind um, the madness that was in the Force of the Night this past mm -hmm. season, actually. Uh huh. But well, it, uh, yeah. there's an interesting phenomenon again of of, and it is interesting. This thing of like you know people seeing Jadun and thinking the Santarans are coming back, and and, other thing, and, <laughs> and every time every time we've seen yeah. a strong female character, oh, is it the Rani? Is it the Rani? <laughs> uh it's uh yeah uh 
but the shawl keep us on our toes and keep surprising us and uh, and that's what we want you know what gets me is when people keep saying oh Stephen Moffat he writes all his strong female characters the same they're all strong female characters Uh, mm. (laughs) (laughs) we need some weaker ones in there you know Again, in terms of fan uh, can I just say something I feel this really strongly over the last few weeks I've got back into Red Dwarf which I've I watched all through its 10 series the, mm. the, the main 8 series and um, then latterly the last 2 um, uh, and it's great because I'm watching it with my kids now and I, and I just you know, uniformly loved it and this is the first time watching it I thought I'll just go on the internet and I've been listening to some podcasts. There's a Tongue Tie podcast, which is excellent. Um, uh, there's a series at a time. You've been on it yourself, Steve, and that's the first one I listened to. But now I've gone by and listened to the other ones. And it's really interesting. Now, Red Dwarfs, a series, I just love every episode. There are a couple waiting for God in the first series. Yeah, you know, it's not so good. But just love it. I just uniformly love it. And I've gone in and I've looked at Red Dwarf fandom, and it's a mirror of Doctor Who. Oh, the parts yeah. of Doctor Who fandom. I've looked at rankings of stories, and there are stories that are, are, you know, people feel compelled to, like, say this story is better than that story, and this is bad because, because, because. And um, it's, it's you know, if, if you're not part of the fandom, all you do is you watch it from week to week, as we used to do as kids back in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Um, uh, and just watch it each week and be impressed by it, and you're not judging it or whatever. Um, I, I, I just wish sometimes that people could just kind of take that step back and not feel you have to grade something or um, whatever. It was just, yeah, the Red Dwarf thing was just a bit of an eye-opener, really. <laughs> just how clearly, how, how closely it mirrors um, I suspect, the Doctor Who thing. I suspect a lot of fandoms are the same. On the subject of Moffat yeah. writing all his women, the same, by the way, I'd just like to put forward Death in Heaven with Osgood Kate Stewart and Missy and say, does he really? Anyway, we'll leave mm-hmm. it there. Yeah. Thanks for joining me, guys. And thank you for having us. Getting Always through the getting been me through been a the good start of the new year. Yeah. Or almost, as it were. Are we not, are we not, yet, are we not there yet? <laughs> now, this is the Boxing Day Blues episode, Andrew. <laughs> Sorry. New Year will be the next episode. But actually, this will be the last episode before New Year goes out. So I think mm. we should wish the listeners a happy New Year. Happy New Year, listeners. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And a happy New Year to all you at home. Very funny. <laughs> Until next week, then. Until next week, then. Thank you, guys. I was JR. I was Andrew. I was Mark. And I was Stephen. And we'll speak again soon. <laughs>